Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Crime Ghoul, a true crime podcast where I'm your host, Brittany. And as always, I'm bringing you all things true crime. It is so nice to be back here with all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know it's been a while. I disappeared without telling anybody where I was going. But life, we all know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, life gets in the way. So if you are a returning listener, thank you so much. I cannot express to you how happy I am to have you excited to hear me talk about true crime. It's unbelievable. It's still crazy. And it's crazy to see that I'm gaining followers and I'm still gaining listeners every single day despite being away for so long. Now, I've been gone for, I don't know, two months, three months, and a lot has happened. So if you guys want to hear a little bit about what's been going on, stay tuned after the episode and I'll give you a little rundown. Otherwise, if you're new here, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you here and I hope you like the show. I do have an Instagram account, crimeghoul underscore, where I share photos and videos, if there are any videos available, of the crime and case that we're talking about today. So definitely go check out crimeghoul underscore on Instagram and go check me out on Facebook, Twitter. You just type in crimeghoul, you'll find me to get all of that extra information. But without further ado, let's get started because after all, we're here to hear about a true crime case. So of course, today's case, definitely um, I have some listener discretion advised. We are going to be talking about children in this episode. So if crime and children is not something you want to hear about or learn about, definitely get out of this episode right now. Go check out some of my old episodes and tune in next week for something maybe not as um, horrifying. I'm not sure. Or I guess I could put it this way, just a case that's not as disturbing to you. But let's get to it. Go brew yourself a cup of coffee, pour yourself a glass of wine, or perhaps take a shot of whiskey. Because as always, these stories are not for the faint of heart. Thank you so much for listening. The New York Times explained it best. He looked like Tom Sawyer, red-haired, freckled face, and 14 years old. Looking at him, you wouldn't guess that he just ruined his own life and took the life of another. It was the summer of 1993, and life in upstate Savona, New York, was quintessential at best. It was surrounded by beautiful mountains, gorgeous upstate New York. Savona was a safe place to raise a family, so much so that a mother of a four-year-old boy felt confident enough to allow her son to walk down the block to his summer day camp, or it was often referred to as a summer recreational program. This idea of allowing your four-year-old child to walk down the block alone may sound absolutely crazy to us now, but I assure you that back in the 90s, Savona was a different place. It was a different time, meaning life was different. The trust in a community and a safe neighborhood was just different. At just four years old, Derek Roby was known as the town mayor. That's how wonderfully beautiful his personality was. He was a firecracker. He was funny. He was sweet. He was fun. He was just a social butterfly who loved other people. He loved sports and he absolutely adored his family. The family was known to be a wonderful set of human beings. Um, Everybody loved to be around them, and Derek lived with his mom, 
Doreen, dad, Dale, and his youngest brother, well, younger brother, I should say, Dalton, who was just a baby at the time. It was August 2nd, 1993, and Derek normally was watched by his mom while he walked down the block to his summer program. But that morning had been just a bit chaotic with his baby brother. Now, Derek was always really helpful to his mom and just loved her. God, he loved her. And being the helpful son that he was, he told his mom that he was okay to walk down the block because she was struggling with Dalton that morning. And really, it was just it was just known that she was a little stressed out that morning with Dalton. So Derek was like, Mom, I can do it. And he was excited. He felt like a big boy. And his mom reassured herself that everything was going to be fine. She had watched Derek make that walk every morning. It wasn't even five minutes. He knew the way. Everything would be all right. And it probably would have been okay had it not been for a 14-year-old boy named Eric Smith. It's crazy to think that really there is such a thing as being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's like good and evil crossed each other's path that day, and unfortunately, in this specific case, evil won. As we move forward through this harrowing summer nightmare, I'm going to explain how these events unraveled for Derek Roby's family and for the public. So, you know, Derek walked to his program, his mom, you know, continued being with Dalton that morning, you know, taking care of the baby. And as the afternoon approached, the clouds darkened and the sky just opened up with this downpouring rain. And Doreen said she'll never forget it. She said she had this sinking feeling of terror and she felt like something was just incredibly wrong. So she made her way to the park to pick up her son. The program really was held at this ball field and Basically, the community got together all the time at this ball field. Like this town like really surrounded their meetings and everything around this ball field. So that's where she had to go to pick up her son. He played t-ball there. It was, you know, something just very familiar. So she raced up to that field and with baby in hand, she says, okay, I'm here to pick up my son. Where's Derek? And she's notified that Derek never showed up for the summer activity that day. Okay. So let's just take that in for a moment, folks, okay? For those of you have, who have kids, this is probably your worst nightmare. And for those of you who don't have kids, I'm sure that we can imagine how horrifying receiving this notification would be. My stomach dropped for Doreen Roby, okay? Panic, of course, sets in immediately, but Doreen managed to remain calm. She needed to focus. Where was her son? She needed to find him. That was the most important thing. So, of course, she had to remain calm. Doreen called police explaining that her son was missing and never showed up to his summer program. And just five hours later, something would absolutely paralyze the town of Savona, New York. After searching, police would discover that in a small patch of woods, just yards away from the park and a few hundred yards from the Roby's home, Derek's lifeless body would be found. And it was in a horrible, horrible state. It was just, oh my gosh, the thing out of nightmares. And it was found that he had been choked and practically beaten to death by rocks. Whoever killed Derek had dug up a huge rock, a small rock, a medium rock, and smashed it over Derek's head over and over again. 
Immediately after the body was recovered, the community placed a cross at his final resting place. There are just no words for a crime as horrible as this. There's no way to explain it. There's no easy way to talk about it. And the town was just in disbelief. This once safe neighborhood shut its doors, locked the doors, locked the windows, kept their kids inside. Nobody knew what to do. Nobody really knew what was going on. And the loss of a child had rocked the town of Savona, New York. The community was, of course, horrified, which is so understandable. And immediately people thought maybe it was a stranger. It definitely had to be adult, an adult from the gruesome nature of the crime, from what they've heard. Whispers and murmurs are going around the town. Like, oh, maybe it's this guy, the really creepy dude who lives down the block, who's a recluse. No, maybe it's this one, the one who beats his wife and his kids. Oh, no, maybe it's this one. You know, there was a lot of speculation going on. No one could ever imagine what the true killer would look like or who the true killer would be. So let's talk about Eric Smith. He grew up across town, 14 years old. He, he loved his grandparents. He was clowning around all the time. He wanted attention from them. And he just always wanted to be around them. Well, the thing with Eric was he was relentlessly bullied for the way he looked. He had this bright reddish orange hair, freckled face, he had really bad eyesight, so back in the 90s, he had these thick glasses. His prescription lens was just thicker than life, and kids really targeted him for this. He was constantly bullied and beat by his peers, and he was also known to have no friends. He was always seen riding his bike around the neighborhood by himself. So how were these two boys connected? A 14-year-old from across town who adored his grandparents, um, who lived with his mom and his stepfather. How could he be connected to Derek Roby, a kid who loved fishing with his father, loved being with his mom, loved his dogs and toys, loved t-ball and sports? How the heck did they cross paths? Well, we're going to get to that. So that patch of woods where Derek was found was located right in between the park, the ball field, I should say they're all in the same place, and his home. So police figured he had to have been lured from the sidewalk into the woods. Now, when I say that this death was horrifying, it really was. It was also a humiliating death. We already talked about how he was strangled and how rocks were used. But at the crime scene, his lunch bag was found open, his banana was smashed on the ground, and police found that Kool-Aid had been poured into Derek's wounds. He was also sodomized by a small, thin stick. And if you don't know what sodomized is, I'm not going to go into detail here. Google it. You'll figure it out. But the body was also arranged in a very strange way. His left sneaker was found to be placed right by his right hand. His right sneaker was removed and placed by his left hand. So it seemed like the body was posed. And there was definitely sexual nature to this case um, just because of him being sodomized by a stick. So Eric, a few days later, would end up going to police saying that he thinks he has some information about the murder of Derek Roby. Now, he goes to speak to investigators. He seems to really enjoy talking to them. He seems very relaxed when talking to them. Everything's coming out very, like, freely or I should say it's flowing well, you know, it's just like 
a normal conversation. But then Eric switches his story. So in the beginning, he said he didn't see um, Derek. Then he says, I did see Derek. And when he did see him, it was right across from the field. Now, police were like, oh, uh oh, this is a big red flag because right across from the field is exactly where the crime scene is in the woods. He's placing himself at the crime scene at this point. So Eric also mentions that when he saw Derek, he noticed that he was wearing a white shirt. He had a really cool lunchbox and all of this stuff. And he was able to properly identify what Derek was wearing that day. So all of a sudden, you know, things start to change. You know, they have their first meeting where they're talking to Eric and everything. Police are kind of like, hmm, this is interesting because, you know, he changed his story, of course. So they get in touch with this woman in the community to have like an ice cream party. And they're like, all right, let's see how this kid reacts. Because, you know, if if we could be horribly correct here and you know, we're starting to feel that maybe he was part of this. If we put those like the food and the beverages that were around when, you know, Derek was killed or at the crime scene, maybe we can figure out if somehow Eric was involved or if somehow he saw something, if he witnessed it, if he, you know, happened to be riding his bike around, was in the woods and came across Derek's body. Maybe we could figure something out. So they got in touch with one of the moms in the neighborhood to have like a sun, like ice cream sundae party. And she made sure to have bananas there. And just like they thought, Derek went to that party and he reacted completely aggressively. He had a tantrum. Um, he was very bugged out by the bananas. You know, the woman made it a point to say, you know, does anybody want a banana for his Sunday? All the kids did except for um, Derek. I mean, Eric, I'm sorry. All the kids wanted it except for Eric. And he was getting really mad. There was Kool-Aid around. He like was just being a terror and went home. He left the party early. So, you know, the investigators meet with him again. They're asking him questions again. They're asking him to kind of repeat what he had said. So while talking, he starts freaking out midway, you know, into this questioning. He gets really emotional. His voice starts to shake. His hands are bunched up into a fist and they're just shaking. And one of the um, police officers would say he was actually like vibrating his fists. So he starts to shout, you think I killed him? You think I did it? Getting so upset, police are like, whoa, we definitely struck a chord here. So Eric takes a break. His dad brings him a glass of Kool-Aid and he pops off. He takes this glass of Kool-Aid, he throws it across the questioning room and you know, investigators are like, okay, all right, calm down. Maybe we're done for today. Maybe this is too traumatizing or, you know, maybe we're getting somewhere here. So the investigators ask him again, where did you see Derek? And of course he says, I saw him. I told you I saw him right across from the ball field, like whatever. So it was very obvious to the police that he saw something traumatic just by his behavior, but they couldn't quite put their finger on what was wrong here. So the next day, investigators asked Derek to show them exactly where they last saw, where he lost, last saw um, Derek. And he seemed to be very helpful, responsive, and he was calm that day. He was riding around his bike, and he seemed to be enjoying the fact that he was helpful to the police. But realizing very quickly, um, investigators noticed that there's no way Eric could have seen all that he was claiming to have seen from the distance he had been when he noticed Derek. So there were a lot of holes showing up in this story. 
And right off the bat, Eric's family definitely felt that he was hiding something. They obviously didn't think that it was this, but they hypothesized that maybe Eric saw something sinister happen. Maybe he saw Derek get murdered. Maybe he saw Derek get lured away by somebody like a stranger. And now maybe he just had an immense amount of guilt. Or maybe he saw it and he was threatened not to tell anybody. Um, you know, maybe the person said, you know, you saw what happened. Well, if you open your mouth, it's going to happen to you too and your family. So they're like, I don't know. Like he's definitely carrying carrying something very heavy with him. So it had to be something along those lines, but not that this child, this 14-year-old kid murdered this little boy, this little four-year-old. So five days after Derek was murdered, he was buried in his baseball uniform, which is just so freaking sad, but he loved that t-ball uniform. He loved playing sports, like I've said. So it was just a very horrible, mournful time for the community. So two days after that burial, Eric confesses. His family had sat him down and begged him to tell what he knew. What then came out of Eric's mouth was the most shockingly wicked thing that could have ever have left his lips. And it was something that they could never have imagined. And immediately he kept apologizing to his sobbing mom. I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry I killed him. I'm sorry I did it. There were just no words. The family had no words. They just had tons of questions. So a year later, you know, we fast forward in time and Eric's at his trial. So this was the people versus Eric Smith. So the prosecutor went in with his opening statement. He left no detail out and he really encompassed the emotion of the courtroom that day. And in New York, murder is the one crime where a 13-year-old can be tried as an adult. Some people would absolutely disagree with this. Honestly, like I have such a conflicted feeling about this. I don't know, like one minute I'm like, yeah, makes sense. The next second I'm like, no, doesn't make sense. Like the psychological aspect of me is like, no, doesn't make sense. But um, the justice side of me is like, absolutely makes sense. So I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way or I'm sure a lot of you were like, no, it definitely doesn't. Or yes, it definitely does. We could be here all day arguing that. But regardless, in New York State, that's the law. He was going to be tried as an adult in court. So mainly, everybody wanted to know, why did this kid kill Derek? What happened here? So the defense would say that Eric had no choice. He suffered from a mental illness. All of this stuff was brought to trial. Apparently, his mom, um, when she was pregnant with Derek, she was taking an a medication for her epilepsy that is now known not to um, be something that you could take while you're pregnant. It could cause a lot of um, developmental issues in a child and so many other things. So um, yeah, she was taking that. So that could definitely have had an effect on his brain development. All this stuff came into play. But you know, it we'll get <laughs> I just don't want to spoil it too soon okay so um all right pump the brakes accordingly Brittany okay anyway back on track so you know the the prosecution they they really well he really didn't hold back he even brought the rocks in that were used to kill Derek and the big rock was huge it's just when I try to think about like what happened here which you know I don't want to think too much about it because who does it's a very disturbing thing but you know I wonder what went down here um, Derek was known to be very talkative, very smiley, always happy, very approachable. So like, how could this 14 year old bring this adorable golden haired blue eyed child, this cutest little thing looked like he could have been a child actor. Um, 
how do you bring him in to the woods and do what you did? Like wrap your hands around him, strangle him. And then when you think he's like unconscious or dead, take a huge boulder. Well, not really boulder, but a huge rock just to be sure and smash it over his head. How could you do that? And then to do the humiliating things he did following that, how could it have happened? How did that conversation go? What did Eric know was going on? Was he crying? Was he scared? I'm sure he was. Like, it's just awful. And, you know, what's even worse, like, um, Doreen Roby explained later that she knew, like, that's that sinking terrible feeling she had like back in the beginning of this episode um, where she felt like you know something was wrong when it just started downpouring that fateful morning or afternoon in the summer she said that that was she thought that that was Derek's way of explaining that he was dead like telling her like mom I'm no longer here and um, Dale Roby very close to his son, very good husband and father would say that he agreed that Derek always told them if something was going on, if something was bothering him, if anything ever happened to him, he would definitely let his parents know. And they believed that the sky opening up with downpouring rain and dark clouds on a seamlessly beautiful day was his way of explaining that he was no longer with them, which is just absolutely heartbreaking. So, of course, when um, the prosecution had these rocks in court, Eric would not look at the rocks. He wouldn't look at any of the evidence that was, um, you know, shown in court. He would look away. He would look down. Just didn't want to, I guess, like, look at the things that he used to kill, which to me shows some type of remorse and disdain and disgust in himself for what he did. You know, some killers won't even show that. But, you know, I'm not here to defend this kid at all. It's just something I noted while looking at the trial. So... You know, of course, in court, more dirty laundry would be aired out about Eric Smith's family. So apparently as a toddler, he threw a lot of tantrums. And when he was having temper tantrums, he would bang his head on the floor. He had speech problems while growing up. He was held back in school and he was relentlessly bullied. Like this was something in school that everybody knew. Relentlessly bullied for the way he looked. And his mom said he was very hard on himself, would say very self-deprecating things like, I'm stupid, I'm nobody, I'm never going to be anybody. Like, you know, of course, a lot of teenagers say these things, but um, a lot of them are quick to bounce back, you know, and to be like, no, you know, maybe, maybe I am something. This sounds like a boy who was maybe very angry and depressed. But of course, I wasn't there in the 90s. I can't make a diagnosis about him. It's just, just my um, kind of opinion on things or maybe my guess. But um, his stepfather would take to the stand and say that there were a few times where Eric would get extremely angry and he would ball up his fists and he would be like, dad, I need help. I feel like I want to hurt someone or hurt something. And of course, some people in the community, some peers would come forward saying that Derek was known to hurt animals. Psychological expert testimony was used and the defense side would say that Eric had something called intermittent explosive disorder, which is basically uncontrollable rage, like blackout rage. And after the rage disappears, it you know, they, the person who has it just returns right back to normal. 
and it's just a very explosive disorder. I'm not going to go into too much detail about how that comes about, but um, that's what they were claiming. And then, of course, expert testimony, psychological testimony from the prosecution side debunked this and was like, absolutely not. This is rare. It's usually not seen at this age. Um, And medical examination that was um, taken of Eric Smith's brain levels and hormone levels showed that it was all normal. So somebody with intermittent explosive disorder would definitely show different brain levels and, um, you know, possibly hormone levels that are just very different from your average base level human being who didn't have or who wouldn't have intermittent explosive disorder. But again, medical examination showed that the brain of Eric Smith and his hormone levels, it was all normal. So they argued there's no way that he has this disorder. There's there's just no way. There's no developmental disorders here. He knew what he was doing. He knew the nature of the crime. And of course, he was he apologized to his mom, which shows he knew exactly what he was doing was wrong. So they were like, no way. You could try to use that, but it's not going to work. So of course, in court, they touched based upon the sexual nature of this crime. So of course, the fact that he sodomized little Derek Roby makes you wonder, was he sexually abused? And Eric Smith would deny, 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 like, no, I was not ever sexually abused or sexually molested, which, you know, a lot of boys who are, this goes unreported. They feel embarrassed. They feel vulnerable, weak, like they're not a man at a time where, you know, they feel that they're really developing into a man and that masculinity is starting to show. So it goes unreported a lot of the times, like sexual abuse in general, of course, goes unreported a lot of the times, whether you're a girl or boy or whatever. So... Eric's older sister, Stacy Abner, would come forward and say, no, my stepfather um, abused me. He sexually molested me. And if he did it to me, I'm sure he did it to Eric. But again, Eric would deny this and say he wasn't. It was known or thought to be true that Eric was physically abused by his stepfather, that they had a very tumultuous relationship. Like one minute they were getting along and his dad was like beating up bullies who hurt Eric and then he was beating up Eric himself. So there was a lot of like physical aggression and violence being enacted against Eric, whether it was from his father or peers. But there was no evidence that Ted Smith, his stepfather, um, or anyone else sexually molested Eric. So this brings us back to the question, did he understand what he was doing? And of course, in court, they argued that he did. And the jury would find him guilty of second degree murder. And he was sentenced to a maximum of nine years to life in prison. So the Robies cried in relief when the sentence was given. But the sentence was not as fulfilling as you might think, because every two years, Eric would be eligible for parole. And this would rip the scab off of the wound and expose it to the toxic memory of what happened to their son over and over again. So while Eric was possibly serving a life sentence, so were the Robies. It was just a nightmare that would never end. And it's almost like Jeepers Creepers. You know, he comes back every every however many years. Well, this nightmare would too come back every few years. So the parents were never allowed inside of the hearing. So Derek Roby's family was never allowed inside. 
Um, so instead, every time that two-year mark would come up, they would write letters to the judge and they would send home videos, which were pieces of their life together with their beloved son to remind the judge of what they lost, of what Derek lost. So Smith's parole was constantly denied. Um, every two years, he'd go up for parole, say what he would say, and they'd be like, nope, you're going to stay in prison. And at these parole hearings, he always apologized. But um, of course, you and I know that that just would never be enough for the family or for the community. Like saying you're sorry is not enough. But experts see that Eric was somebody who escalated in violence rather than somebody who just snapped. They didn't believe that he was just an angry kid who snapped. This violence started from around eight years old of him hurting animals and progressed into him hurting and then killing Derek Roby. So a lot of people, like when they look back at this and they, you know, experts theorize what really happened here, they think that Eric was really tired of being the victim and that he wanted to see what it would be like as the victimizer because he was just victimized over and over again. So in 2004, Eric disclosed at a parole hearing that um, had he not confessed to killing Derek, had he not been identified as the killer or convicted, he probably would have killed again. Not even probably. He said, yes, he would have. And experts know that this is probably due to the pleasure that the killing brought to Eric Smith, which is just really disturbing. Eric would later identify that the anger that he had wasn't really directed at Derek that day at all. It was really directed at the young guys who beat and bullied him. And it just so happened that he saw Eric that day. It was the wrong place, the wrong time. Eric looked super happy and he just looked at him and wanted to hurt him. So Eric claims that every day he's forced to remember what he did and of the pain that he caused to the Roby family and the community. And for us, like if you watch these interviews and everything, it's really hard to sense how sincere he is. Of course, all of us can take a look at it, what he said and how he said it. But in reality, just by this, we can't truly ever know what was going in going on inside Eric Smith's head. And expressions of remorse are really difficult to judge someone's always going to say one thing and another person will always say another thing, you know, like, oh, that person wasn't remorseful enough or that person put too much of a show on. It's it was just a bad act. Like, it's really hard. Like, just from watching someone, we can't know how sincere they are. So the only thing that really could hold true was that in prison, the correctional officers, the psychologists, doctors, and basically all the staff on duty have made it clear that they have seen positive changes within Eric Smith throughout his time in prison. So October 25th of 2021, this was the 11th time that Eric Smith went in front of the parole board. And it, by that time, he had completed an endless number of programs. He had an education and demonstrates a low risk to society based on risk, risk assessments that were given by psychologists and psychiatrists. So it also turns out that Eric Smith is engaged and his fiance is even studying to be a lawyer. So she originally reached out to Eric asking questions about the juvenile justice system. And in the midst of corresponding back and forth, they fell in love. So, of course, it must be nice um, to fall in love with somebody. And if you're like me, you're looking at this with disdain because you know that Derek Roby never got the chance to fall in love. Needless to say, Eric Smith was granted parole. That's right. 
The Robies heard of this news and of course they were devastated. And currently, as I'm speaking to you, Eric Smith lives in Queens, New York. So during his release, the community banded together to protest Eric's release. The town wanted everyone to know um, in Savona, in New York, in the nation, that they did not forget the devastating loss of such a bright light in their community. Eric's mom still was living in Savona, New York, so the community was really fearful that he would move back in with her and that the Robies would possibly cross paths with the killer of their beautiful son. But the parole committee made sure that this was something that would not be acceptable, nor would happen. So they kept delaying the release of Eric Smith until approved housing was found for him. And that's where Queens, New York comes into play, because that's evidently where his approved housing would be. So it is miles away from Savona, New York. But of course, is that good enough? That's the question. So after 28 years of being in prison, Eric Smith is now a free man living in society. That's right. And last we heard, um, he really did want to get into carpentry and everything. So there's that. If you live in New York or Queens, New York, um, a guy named Eric Smith who will probably change his name might be the person who is doing your carpentry in your house. So fun fact. So the Robies have made peace with Smith's release. Um, We are now in 2022. And in a sense, they look at it as they have been released from a life sentence as well. Meaning there's no more parole. They can finally truly heal. They don't have to rip that scab off every two years. Instead, they could just let it scar over and be closed shut. So they've been working on letting go of their anger and focusing on laughing and loving more. They focus on their friends and family and their now 30-year-old son, Dalton. They claim that life is too short and that they just want to begin living. Every year on August 2nd, the anniversary of the loss of their Derek, they make it a point to go and do something fun as a family. Typically, they find vanilla ice cream and sprinkles, otherwise known by Derek as white ice cream with sprinkles. That's what he loved and that's what they use to cherish his memory. So wherever they are, whether they're on vacation, whether they're on home, whether they're God knows where, they make sure that on August 2nd, they go and find that white ice cream with sprinkles. Today, watching over the ball field that Derek loved so much where he played t-ball and where he went to his summer program, stands a statue on a hill overlooking the baseball field. And it's a statue of Derek in his t-ball outfit, smiling, and now he gets to overlook the games and the community gatherings that take place at the field. In interviews today, the Robies are still in pain. Their wounds are just as fresh, but with glimmering happiness and a love that is still so strong for their son, Derek Roby. So... That is the conclusion to today's episode. What do you think? Do you think that Eric Smith should be walking free? Do you believe in this rehabilitation? Or do you believe that it should be um, prison, a prison sentence should strictly be punishment and that is all? Do you think that somebody like Eric Smith can be rehabilitated? 
definitely, definitely let me know. Go check out my social medias. Again, CrimeGhoul underscore on Instagram, on Twitter and Facebook. You could find me by just looking up CrimeGhoul. Definitely feel free to send me DMs about your opinions of this episode, of what you think about Eric Smith and this case in general, or we could just talk and shoot the shit, whatever you want to do. I love making new friends, especially friends who love true crime because I don't have a lot of them. And most of the time I seem like a really morbid person to be around because I do enjoy discussing these cases. I like throwing thoughts and ideas around. I like the psychology behind the cases. Um, Yeah. So definitely come talk to me. If you have any case suggestions, absolutely send them my way. I'm definitely going to be trying to be more active um, with my podcast because I miss it so dearly. And now for my life update. If you want to hear that, Thank you so much for sticking around or caring about what's been going on in my life. But basically, as you all know, or some of you know, I should say, if some of you are new, um, I guess I could fill you in as quickly as possible. But a few months ago, my dog got really sick. Kylo, he's my little bat piggy pup co-host. He is still here today. You may hear him chewing a bone in the background or being rude with the toy. Um, He typically does that. Sometimes he talks to you guys and he's like, mom, shut off the podcast and pay attention to me. But he is quite the character and he has been sick recently. And it, it's been since November that we've been trying to figure out what's going on with him. But needless to say, we have finally figured out that it is something with his liver. We kept thinking, okay, we figured it out. This worked and he was better. And each time he would get worse again. He has become very skinny because he has an enzy- enzyme insufficiency and there's something going on with his liver. So this Wednesday, he is going to be looked at for a liver biopsy and all this other stuff that I won't get into unless you really want to know you can dm me um but yeah so i've been very encompassed by my dog's illness that's going on and trying to get him better because he is my baby of course he is my child and other than that um i am no longer in human resources if you guys knew that i am no longer doing that i am currently on a bit of a vacation thank god i should stay I should say staycation because I needed this. I've been so busy interning, school, work, full time. But right now I'm on a vacation, thankfully. Not for long, of course. So I start a new job next week. If you want to know what that is, you can DM me. Um, I don't want to get too technical about my job over my podcast. I like to take keep the two things separate. I've decided to keep them separate going forward. But you all know that I have studied psychology, so it is in the realm of the mental health field. I continue to internship doing therapy with clients, and I love it. I adore it. So basically, I've been working nonstop. I'm a workhorse and haven't been able to keep up with my podcast, which is my true love and hobby and enjoyment. So I'm trying to get back into it so I can enjoy this and I could keep talking to you guys. I love the crime, the true crime community. You guys have been great and awesome. So thank you for listening. Thank you for hearing. Well, sticking around to hear about my life update. I know some people just don't care and that's okay. Sometimes you just want to hear the true crime and you don't want to listen to all the nonsense around that. So totally get it. I'm actually one of those people when I listen to podcasts or YouTubers or whatever true crime I'm watching. I don't really want to hear too much about the narr- like who's narrating. 
but some people do. Some people like to know the behind the scenes and all of that. So I'm definitely going to be posting some more behind the scenes stuff about what I do when I podcast, what I use, because some people have requested that. And thank you so much. You make me feel so important and loved and you actually care about what I'm doing. So thank you to the people who have reached out about that. And thank you for the people who noticed that I was missing because <laughs> people are like, what the hell happened to you? Are you alive? Like what's going on? So I love you guys. I like to keep Crime Ghoul a very um, free speech community. So if you come to any of my social media, say whatever you want. But, you know, of course, um, don't be afraid um, or don't be surprised when you get some rebuttals. But that's what we're here for. We're here for um, respectful discussion of things where everything and anything is up for debate and that's okay but just just please be kind in the comments please be kind in life in general um kindness is something that's not really seen as much as it should be these days but i know y'all want to be kind and i know y'all want to be treated with kindness at the end of the day more so than anything so please remember that even on your shitty days because just because you have a shitty day doesn't mean it's okay to be a shitty person thank you all right so next week's episode not sure what it's going to be just yet so i'm still open to some suggestions and for now thanks for joining me i am back i'm happy to be with you guys and i hope you have an amazing week and if you're listening to this today i hope it helped your monday um i know the mondays really come with those blues sometimes especially after a holiday so um for those of you who celebrate easter happy easter and yeah, happy week, happy life, happy living. I will talk to you soon and I'm out.